Isaiah 40, 27 and following to the end of the chapter. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This was the word of the Lord from Isaiah. You may be seated. Thank you, David, for reading God's word. <clears throat> well, this is a familiar passage to many of us. Uh, you've seen it on bumper stickers. Uh, you've seen it on pictures with eagles. Uh, and the unintended consequence, though, that obviously God's word should always be encouraging, um, this passage is not an espresso shot. It's not meant to be something that, well, it's just, this is what athletes take, you know, when they're, they're getting weary, they, they, they take their favorite sports drink and it just boosts them up. Or, uh, you know, us experiencing the day that we're experiencing, I didn't plan to preach this message on this day in light of the fact that we'd have an extra hour of sleep that we missed. That wasn't by my design, by God's design, but it's not meant to be like two shots of espresso or your favorite energy drink. The truth of this passage is speaking to a people who are in utter despair. They had been uh, oppressed. Many had lost their homes and were no longer in their land. They had seen family members die at the hands of their enemies. People that they knew were no longer with them, and they found themselves in a place where they were saying these words in verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. God, can't you see my situation? God, why, why have you stopped answering my prayers? It doesn't seem like they're making any effect. Do you ever feel like that? Do you wonder where God is? Some of you might be experiencing that right now through the trial of life. If you aren't experiencing that right now, you will. The human experience this side of the fall is one of hardship. And we can feel defeated. But the truth here this morning that we are going to look at is a reality that God does not leave us in that place. God doesn't leave us in that place. He didn't leave his people alone in that place. He didn't just say, suck it up, buttercup. Deal with it. No, as we learned last week, God, at the beginning of verse 40, says, comfort, comfort my people. He speaks tenderly 
to his people. He's not pushing them off to the side. He's not saying, well, you're in this place because of something that you have done, so just deal with it. No, he says tenderly. It's as if he's taking his hands and putting them on their their cheeks and lifting their face and speaking to them, saying, "I, I have not forgotten you. I I see your situation. I am going to make a way where there seems to be no way in your situation. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear three words. And he says those words in verse 9. Now, we are going to be going through more than what David read this morning. We're going to go through verses 12 and following, but look back at verse 9. So keep your Bibles open this morning, and at the end of verse 9, we get these significant three words. Behold your God. If there's anything that you write down, if you're taking notes this morning, you write down those words. Behold your God. God. Because what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what A.W. Tozer said. And it's true. In the midst of trial, in the midst of uncertainty, what comes to our mind when we think about God is what makes all of the difference. And if we want rejuvenation in our life, if we want revival in our life, the first place that we go, the first step that we should take is to rediscover who God is. Behold our God. That's what this passage is telling us to do. So though the, the familiar passage is often the end of of Isaiah 40, but every time I read Isaiah 40, I'm like, oh, I hope folks just don't read those verses or just the last verse. I hope they go back and they slowly read the entire chapter because the entire chapter is meant for us to slow down and behold our God. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And I want you to prepare yourself. We are going to drink from a hose. Not the small little hose that comes out of your house, like the fire hose that puts out fires we're going to drink from because that's what God does as he presents himself to us. So Isaiah says, behold our God. And then he starts to talk about God's character. Let's look starting at verse 12. Our God is an all-knowing, wise creator. This is what he says in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span. And closed the dust of the earth in a measure. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So this is what God has done. <clears throat> As we think about it, God has, he's, he's measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. I've got a little bit of water here. I'm not going to squirt anybody with it. But, but if, you put, if you put your hand out, and put your hand out. You don't need to look at anybody else's hand. Just kind of look at your hand. Put your hand out. I'm not going to put water in everybody's hand. God measures the waters from this planet. Every ocean, every sea, every lake, every 
river. He measures them in the hollow of his hand. That's, that's what our God does. He, he measures the heavens with the span of his hand. He just goes, yep, yeah, yeah, that's how big they are. He uses a scale to, to weigh the mountains. We just kind of, you know, put the things on the scale, small things in our kitchen. Well, he just, for him, the mountains. Now, certainly these things speak to God's greatness and his magnitude, but in the original language, these words are speaking more than just God's greatness and what he can do. It's speaking to the detail in which he cares about his creation. So words like hollow and breadth and scales and the balance, they're, they're measurements in human terms that we use to measure small things. Like, we're going to measure small things on this scale. We're going to measure small things in the hollow of our hand. But when you read words like marked off or measured or weighed, they speak to the fact that all of creation was made with absolute precision. <clears throat> the word marked off has the, the, the sense that it's fine-tuning. Every piece has its place. So even as we're kind of overwhelmed, like, God, how, how do you measure all the waters in the hollow of your hand? We think about his greatness, but we must think about his precision, about his attention to detail. He cares about every detail. He cares about every detail in his creation. He cares about every detail in your life. And the, the chapter goes on. He says, in, in verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? In this day and age in which these individuals would have heard these words, there would have been Babylonian and Canaanite mythology that they would have understood and there was an awareness that the creator God had to get permission from another God to do the things that he did. And so there was kind of this give and take that had to happen. But our God, the only God, needs no one's permission. He needs no one's counsel. We need coaches to help us to get better at the things that we do. We need wise counselors to help us. Certainly you've seen a younger individual and an older individual, and that older individual doesn't make the mistakes of the younger individual because they have wisdom and they've grown, but that person still needs to grow. God doesn't need any of that. God doesn't need anyone's counsel because all wisdom, all understanding are found in our God. He's not only the creator, but he also is the reason behind creation. He gives creation purpose and meaning. This creation wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. 
That's the lie that's being perpetuated to say there is no God. And the unintended consequence of that is you have no significance. In fact, you're insignificant. You're an accident if there is no God. That's what we are. But every detail matters. It's been created with absolute wisdom and understanding. So our God is an all-knowing, wise creator. But he is also a colossal God. Our God is huge. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. When you think about a bucket, maybe you have a bigger bucket that's not pink at your house, and you fill it up with water, right? You're carrying it around. You're carrying it from the, the backyard uh, to the front yard, and as you're carrying it full, every once in a while, right, a little a, a drop comes out. And when a drop comes out, do you go, oh, we must, we must stop and try to gather that up. No, you're like, a drop fell out. What's the big deal? We've got a full bucket. The nations are to God like that drop that falls out of the bucket. The nations are, are like, like the dust on the scale that don't even register the scale that you just dust off. That's what the nations are to God. The United States, Russia, China, and list off nations as you go. India, France, Great Britain. Continue on down the list. Just a drop to our God. He goes on, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. If you understand what Lebanon is, Lebanon was known for its cedars and their trees. Maybe for us, we might think about the redwoods in California and just so many of them, the vast forests. Well, you know, they're, they're going to be like just not enough to make a fire. That's what how, how colossal our God is. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. God's, God's dominance over this world is total and complete. We need to understand that. We need to understand that because as we flip through the news on whatever device that we're reading, whether it's paper, whether it's electronic, and we start to read about things that are happening, stirrings about this nation spying on this nation or this nation rising up against that nation. Anxiety can start to swell in our hearts, and it certainly can swell in our hearts if there's the threat of danger for us. And that can rise, and it can rise, but we have to understand. We have to get this in our minds and, and meditate on these truths before some of those things come. We must understand that God is colossal. He is over all of that. And when God's, when this word says the nations are as nothing and emptiness, it's really speaking more to size. It's not speaking to his heart of care. God certainly 
loves the nations. He desires, as we learn from 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants people to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with him. But the nations are nothing apart from God. In fact, the nations only get their significance from God. Because each of us has significance because we were created to bring God glory. But God is over the nations. Now we could stop right there. We could be done today. Because right there, we just had, my mind just, just blew right out. Like there's just so much to think about as you ponder just these verses. But God wants to overwhelm us with who he is. So he goes on. He goes on to communicate that he's the only God. If you look back at your Bible, verses 18 and 19 and 20, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman, casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol who will not move. We try to put God in a box. We try to make God in our own liking. The idols we might not have, little figurines that sit on a shelf. Though they did that in this day, and they're certainly in our day in some places, that's what happens. But we can't put God in a box. He, he isn't to be controlled or manipulated. Our God is the only God. He's the only God, and there's, there's no other like him. And he's active in the world. So we don't just stand there and let things go. He's active in the world. He's active over world leaders. Let's go back to the text. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. This is speaking to the greatness of God. He looks down on the nations. I didn't have any grasshoppers toys at my house. But, but they're just small. That's, that's how... How great our God is over the nation. This is how he thinks about the peoples. This is how he thinks about world leaders. And he, he spreads out the heavens like a great. He just deals with things. Just kind of like as we, we get a curtain and we just kind of open it up or we close them. We don't think anything of it. That's how God interacts with his world. He stretches out the heavens just like, yeah, just whoosh, we just open them up, close them. That's our God. And he has the final say. 
Look at verse 24. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. World leaders, Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, Ronald Reagan, Queen Elizabeth, they're, they're like, like seeds. <sighs> These great leaders, the ones of old, they were like seeds. Just, <sighs> they're done. And the ones of today, they're no different than the ones of ages past. God is not intimidated by them, but he certainly uses them. And we can even think about not just those that are government officials. We can think about business leaders. Lest we think that they're going to endure or have some kind of power or influence. I mean, just think about someone like Steve Jobs. In his prime of creating electronic devices that have transformed the world. He's gone. Our God is in control over everything that seems dominant in this world. One commentator said, the power brokers who seem so formidable to us with their monumental egos and their pretentious ambitions are to God like little seedlings, scarcely planted, and God merely blows on them with zero effort on his part, and to them, his mere puff of air is a raging tempest driving them into oblivion and that makes God himself the only world figure really to fear. We need to let that sink in, friends. It's almost like we should have done one of these points like one, one a week. We've just gone through two or three verses a week because they're so huge. It would serve us to take time to slowly read this and read this chapter again and ponder and think. And as you pray, look down at your hand and you think about how God holds this universe and the detail at which he has created all things. And the fact that, that God speaks comfort into you because he's an attentive God. He's not just one who, who creates it and sets it in motion. That's one theory that people have. Oh, yeah, I'll believe in God, but he doesn't really care about his creation. He's just made it, and he's just kind of set it in motion. Kind of like he's, he's made a watch, and he's wound it, and, you know, maybe on occasion he comes back and he cranks it just so that it can keep going. But he really doesn't care about the details of life. But he does. Look at verses 25 and 26. God cares about the, the, the specifics. He's attentive to the specifics. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. 
it's only in recent decades that we have developed telescopes that can be out in space and to help us look beyond what we weren't able to look beyond before. And we can see, see things that we didn't see before. And we understand now that we can see some of those things out far that, that our planet is this little tiny thing in the midst of something far more vast. Our solar system is inside the galaxy called the Milky Way. And the galaxy we live in is shaped like a spiral, a gigantic pinwheel, spinning in the open expanse of space with our solar system rotating around the center. Every, once every million years or so, we lie about two-thirds of the way out from the center of the galaxy in what might be considered the boondocks. The Milky Way is 104,000 light years across, containing over 100 billion stars. To count them one by one would take us over 3,000 years. He calls them all by name. Not one is missing. Stuff goes missing in my house all the time. Go to play a game and you pull out a deck of cards and it's missing five cards. Or that ever-elusive deck that has 51 cards. And it's always like the card that you need for every game. It's never like the fourth joker that's lost. Or socks. Little socks. I couldn't even find little socks to come and bring because they're, they're all gone. We, we, can't, we can't find even the littlest things. God hasn't lost even the littlest of things. He's named everything. He hasn't lost a single detail. You must understand that's not just for us to go, wow, God, th that is every little detail about your life. Every red blood cell. When he formed you in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he understood and the intricacies because he was there before you were there. Every single detail about your life, he is aware of. He understands. He's called you by name and you are his if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remind one another of these truths because we forget. God knows every particular detail. And even though we know that to be true in our heads, the trials of life, the difficulties of our life cause us to doubt. Because as Isaiah has unpacked all of this for God's people, he knows this is the place that they're in. Where we started this morning. My way is 
hidden from the Lord. And my right hand is disregarded by my God. And Isaiah cries out to the people, why do you say that? Why do you say that? I've just painted this picture about our God. Why do you say that? I want you to know something. I want you to know that that is not true. Your way isn't hidden from the Lord because that would be outside of his character. He knows the difficulties that you are walking through. But there is a reality, friends, that our despair can cause us to doubt. Though our God does strengthen the weary, our our despair can cause us to doubt. We can say my life here on earth has become so tangled up in stuff, God's, God's lost sight of me. He, he's obviously lost sight of me. The things that I am experiencing certainly speak to the fact that God has lost sight of me. You may have said that. You may be saying that right now. There's no use pleading my cause to God because he's just going to dismiss it. Again, God, you don't see my situation and my prayers don't seem to be answered. We find ourselves in that very real place. But the way forward, friends, is to be reminded of what we already know. When you you find yourself in the place where you think God is too big to care about you. Like, he's just got so much going on. I mean, he's got, got lots going on in the world. He's got lots going on in our community. He just, he doesn't really care. No, God is so great, he does care. He does care. And I know he cares about the details of our lives because he sent his son Jesus to come and live among us to come and live among us in the hard and the difficulties of life, to experience the pain and the suffering of trials, to experience the disappointment of those who rejected him, to experience hunger in his body, to experience the fact that he, he may have wanted to be married, but he never was because he was devoted to what God called him to do. Many could look at his life from the outside and go, there was a life that that was ended too soon. He didn't get to realize all that he might have been able to do. But the reality is, is our God came and he dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. And we need look no farther than what Christ has done to know God's nearness to us, to know God's love for us. So when we marry the truth of the gospel to what we know here about God, it is going to continue to blow your mind. You're like, this is just too big. Yeah, it is. That's why we must keep coming back to it and coming back to it. And he wants us to look at our lives through the lens of what he sees, not what we see. Because he's the greatest of all time. Verse 28 says it. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. That means he's eternal. That means he is everywhere in the past. He is everywhere in the present, in time. And then he is everywhere in the future. He's eternal. He's in all those places at all the time. Just that alone makes my brain want to just melt down. 
So he understands the end from the beginning because he's present there. So you don't have to worry about the next step and what's coming down the pike because God's already present there. He's eternal. That eternity sign that doesn't make sense to you when you're doing math work, you know, that's, that's really God. He's there. He is there. He was there before the beginning, and he is there for eternity. The creator of the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. He's present in every place of the earth. We know from Psalm 139, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the other parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. He's in every place that you could go. He was here before you got here. He's already at your house before you get home. He's in the car when you go to get in the car. He's present everywhere. We use big theological terms like omnipresent. That just means he's everywhere all the time. Everywhere all the time. I could ask you to tell your neighbor, um, he's right here. And that would be true. Everywhere all the time. He does not faint or grow weary. You've heard the the word omnipotent. It means all-powerful. He never runs out of gas. Never runs out of gas. I can't fathom that. We all came here, run out of gas. We need a little bit more sleep. We all hit the wall. If you're somebody who exercises, there's a wall that you hit, and you can't get around it. At some point, your body stops. No matter how hard you try, no matter what kind of muster you got inside, your body just stops. God doesn't. doesn't matter how little sleep you get. You, try to, you think, I can just push it through. I thought when I was 20 in college that I could stay up for three days straight. And the Lord was like, no, you can't. But every time my head hits the pillow, my God has energy just like he had the best night's sleep the night before. He he doesn't get exhausted. When you go to make a request, he's not like, you know, I'm just going to put that on my to-do list. Let me pull out my planner. I'm going to write that down when I get to it. You know, I'm kind of tired today. He doesn't do that. That's, that's how you can make a request and you can make a request and you can make a request because he doesn't grow weary. He just takes it all in because that is our God and his understanding is unsearchable. That means he's omniscient. That means he's all knowing, and we've talked about that. He's all-knowing. And he gives this promise that he will renew us because verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And young men do. I mean, there was that Buffalo Bills football player in, it, in his prime, in his 20s. Mean, lean, tackling machine. And he just falls over. Because he's finite like we are finite. And so exhaustion will come. But he gives a 
promise to renew their strength. For they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So there is a promise there. But friends, this promise is so far deeper than, oh, everything's just going to be fine today. I think this passage has been wrongly preached in some context because they're like, hey, if, if you hold claim to this promise, God's going to heal you right here. The reality is in the context of when this passage was first read, the people were in exile. Some of them didn't see their homeland again. But God wanted to give them a greater picture. Like we read last week that he's going to make straight, the, he's going to take the mountains and make them low. He's going to take the valleys and he's going to raise them up and he's going to make this path because he's pointing them to something that's beyond them. And that's the thing that gets us going forward. Now certainly God will answer prayers and God does answer prayers. God does bring healing and restoration and certain things in this life. But for some, God, God's going to wait for the day when we see him face to face. And he wants us to look to that day. Not just on this day, but on that day. Because on that day, everything will be made new. So we look to that day. That's the hope of that day. But here's the reality. Even in our day, we can experience a renewal and a, that's supernatural to endure what we are walking through. It's something that you can't almost, you almost can't tangibly explain. I mean, think about things like Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's something supernatural that happens when we proclaim the gospel, when God calls us to go because God does call some of us to go at different times to the ends of the earth, maybe to move to another state, maybe to move to another country or maybe to move to a place like Japan, like the folks that we have been praying for. Do you think they have the strength to go and do what they're doing? Do you think they have the human wisdom to be able to navigate that? No, they are dependent on the Spirit of God. Even Paul communicated. He didn't come in strength. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The promise is that we will have strength to endure the circumstances that he has called us to walk into, and he will be with us. This is a promise. In any aspect of life, because he says, run. This, this really speaks to like the exceptional demands of life, the things that are hard. Sometimes the things that you walk through that other people don't walk through. God promises that he will give you the strength and the endurance to walk through it. Or to walk. This is even the strength to walk through the daily grind of life. Because many of us are like, well, yeah, I'm not a missionary in Japan, so I'm not doing anything significant. No. The daily grind of life, God is still present in the day-to-day -day mundane things of life. 
the reports that you have to make for work, the things that you have to fix or create, the laundry that you have to do, the diapers that you have to change. Moms, they, they grow weary. If you ever met one, they do. Dads grow weary. Though kids think dads can do anything, they grow weary. But there's a promise here. And it's important for us to know that we are to behold our God. Because the, the verse that's so popular starts with, but they who wait for the Lord. There's an importance to waiting that we have lost in our day. We can have things so quickly. You know that you could pull your phone out and have lunch ready for you before you pray at the end of the last song today. And we have distraction after distraction after distraction. And those things don't deliver. You know the experience of when you find yourself discouraged and you go to that thing on your device and you scroll or you watch and when you're done, you're just like, that did not deliver. I'm still wanting more. God wants to get our attention, church. He gave us three words early on in this chapter. Behold your God. And one message on a Sunday morning is not going to give you all that God wants to give you. It's, it is great for us to gather and to sing these truths. It is great for us to open God's word and to unpack the truth of the scriptures. But God wants you individually to behold your God. God wants your family to behold your God. God wants your small group to behold your God. Because as we behold our God, the things of this world just do not have the sway over us that they once did. The people in my life who seem unfazed by the constant buffeting, whether it's a physical trial, whether it's the death of a spouse, they're unfazed. Why are, why are some of these people unfazed? Because they've spent time beholding their God. And that's what God is calling us to do. So God's calling us to do something regular. And, and I want to I encourage you to prioritize time today, not tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. To sit down with this passage of Scripture. Maybe you're going to do it over lunch with your family. And go, how, how great is our God? What is the significance of these truths? Why does it matter in our life? And if you're in that place where you're like, I think I just want to go back to verse 27, because this is the thing that resonates with me the most. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. 
Friends, you have some Isaiahs in your life. They're called your small group. They're there to remind you of these truths when you find yourself in that place. Because I know when I found myself in some of the darkest places of discouragement where I'm just like, I, I, yeah, I think this sometimes. Even as a pastor, I think, is God really there? Because like this situation is just overwhelming for me. Maybe this isn't even for me. Maybe I'm just going to share this because this is for other people, but it doesn't seem to be for me. And I find myself saying these words in, in various different ways. Do you know what helps me? What helps me is when a dear friend says, Jamie, behold your God. I want to remind you of the many things that you've reminded me of. I want to remind you about who God is because in this moment, you're forgetting who God is. You're forgetting about how great and how awesome he is. So let's, let's be reminders. Let's be the reminding officers. You all have a badge, reminding officer. That's, that's my job. Job description, remind my dear friends in the Lord about who God is and what he has done, and his disposition towards him. And if you're just like, I can't remember. Well, you got Isaiah 40. Just open it up and read somewhere. It's going to deliver. So let's repent if, if our God is too small. If we've made God too small, and let's commit to rediscovering who God is by waiting, by sitting, by meditating with some undistracted time in front of his word and in front of him. That's why we take retreats sometimes. Because we want to move away the stuff and focus on what really matters. Because when we behold, when we behold our God, we start to see this world through his eyes. And we experience a, a renewal of our strength that I can only describe as supernatural. And there's a promise that he will renew your strength as you behold your God. Let's pray. Father, we have covered so many details about you this morning. So many details that will be so easy for us to forget. So Lord, I ask that you would stir us up to fellowship about these truths over the coming weeks. That they wouldn't go far from us in our Christian experience, in our walk together. Would we be reminding one another of who you are Because, Lord, sometimes when we're longing for the answer, the answer we need is to just know that you are. And I pray, God, right now for those who are in our midst or those who might be watching online that, that even after unpacking these amazing truths about you, they still find themselves in the place of saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. This might be for somebody else, but my way is hidden from the Lord. I pray, Father, for that brother or that sister right now. I pray, God, 
that you would move in power in their life and that you would, you would tangibly give them the experience of your nearness because you care about every detail in their life. The afflictions that they are experiencing, you experienced as you came in the form of your son. And you understand. And I pray, God, for comfort and peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would burden us this afternoon if there are folks that need cared for, that need encouraged, that we would pick up the phone and we would call. Or we'd get in the car and we'd drive to their house. We just pray. God, use us to be reminders like you used your servant Isaiah. So we thank you, God, for making yourself known to us. May we bring glory to your name as you strengthen us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and respond?